Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Maria Villa Gomez to the show. Welcome, Maria. Welcome, Thank Maria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're so happy excited. to have you. It's an honor. And you are our Vice President of Academic Affairs, which is a new position at the college because we used to have a Vice President position that has been recently split into two. We have a Vice President of Student Affairs, and then we have Vice President of Academic Affairs. So if you could kind of break down what your portion of that puzzle is, what academic affairs exactly entails and, and, you know, maybe what it doesn't entail. But if you could just go into that for a second, just to let folks know, because it is a new position at the college, so they might not be aware. Yes. Thank you so much for having me once again. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to be at Santa Barbara City College and um, particularly is as the previous executive vice president position split into a vice president of academic affairs role and the vice president of student affairs role. So in a way, I'm fortunate that I get to be the first one to sort of hold that role and um, discover it, right, along with the various constituencies here, the various stakeholders to see what uh, it evolves into. But generally speaking, academic affairs is the institution's office uh, that oversees all of the academic programs and departments. We support curriculum initiatives, we support faculty hiring and uh, promotion of teaching instructional events, faculty professional development, and all academic programs and departments uh, as they relate to instructional matters. That's the in a nutshell, what academic affairs entails. Anything related to instruction, catalog falls within academic affairs, the schedule development process also falls within academic affairs, teaching assignments, you know, all that great stuff. It's kind of incredible that that was one position before, because what you just described yeah, is enough for two jobs in and of itself. You could split your position into two jobs and it would still be plenty of work to go around. So the fact that it was all in one before, I mean, you could see why it was necessary to do that. But in terms of how you wrap your head around this, what, I mean, how, <laughs> how does that happen? You don't see the cape? She has a cape on. Come on, hon. You don't see that. <laughs> It's, it's uh, interesting to think about how it might have worked in the past when this role, the person sitting in this position, oversaw both areas. However, they, you know, it, it did, it did, it did happen. They did manage to 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 do that and successfully. And so, I think the opportunity with the split now comes for both the student affairs side of the house and academic side of the house to kind of look at what laser focused initiatives, right, for student services, BP Arnold wants to focus on and what laser focused initiatives, action plans, strategies, et cetera, the VP of AA wants to focus on without sort of having to split our time in just incredible ways and unmanageable ways. But at the same time, I think it's important to remind ourselves that while each position is unique, there is a lot of overlap between the two areas. Student support services is as important 
as academic affairs and, and vice versa. And so, you know, there was a time when we could think of instruction as isolated. We could think of student services as isolated. Now with so many initiatives that require constant collaboration and communication between the two areas, we really are one, right? But we were able to just focus on our, on our respective areas as well. So it's the best of both worlds, I think. That's a great way to put it in terms of your, the interoperability is still there in terms of how the position used to be kind of integrated, but at the same time, you have two folks that can really focus and, and really kind of hone in on the things. And at the same time, you also mentioned that you don't, you're not necessarily looking to reinvent the wheel here and overhaul everything because that would be a lot on top of a lot, but you can at least kind of rest on what works and then really kind of lock in on what needs to be done. And then, and then once that's done, I'm sure you will go back and, and, you know, maybe see, see how things can be improved in this and that. So it's, it's good to know that at least it should be not necessarily seamless, but it should be relatively seamless, you know, like it should feel business as usual for students coming in and for a lot of the, most of the faculty, except for the, you know, all the behind the scenes, you know, inside baseball stuff that I'm not privy to, but yeah. I agree. And I think the students, both the students and the faculty deserve someone who's going to be dedicated to instructional matters only at times and someone who is going to be dedicated to student services and support area as well. We all deserve that focus. Absolutely. Yeah, because they are both service oriented, but in terms of how that service is provided, it can vary drastically. So, right. So, yeah. So we do look forward to, uh, to how things go. And as, as the season, as the semester unfolds, because it is due to begin as of this recording, uh, semester, fall semester will be starting next week. So does anything change for you with the week starting? Or are you just kind of like monitoring things to see how they go? I mean, cause I'm sure you've already laid a lot of the groundwork, but once the semester is in motion, is, do, do things kind of drastically change? Or is it just kind of seeing how the things that you've already done kind of go? That's a great question. I mean, I this is week seven for me at Santa mm-hmm. Barbara City College, and it is my first rodeo, if you will. This is the first time that I hold this role of vice president of academic affairs. In my previous role, I was a senior dean of four major areas. So it is one of the busiest times of the year, uh, the week before the semester begins, where we are monitoring enrollments making sure that we are meeting the needs of the students uh, as far as course offerings go, you know, trying to consolidate where there is room for to consolidate, but also trying to look at areas for growth and add sections where students are, are needing us to do so. For that reason, it's a very busy week right before the semester begins. In my experience, the first week of classes is the busiest. And then after that, once everyone's schedule is settled and, uh, you know, things are, things are good, good for the students and the faculty, things begin to slow down a little bit. And so I also don't want to jinx it, you know, <laughs> I want to make sure that it actually happens. Is, but yeah, and, you know, it's all good. I think we can only do our best. Yeah. Yeah. I often say, you know, I work in admissions. And so usually the dust settles after the second week, right? reality starts to set in a little bit. So after the second week, it's is a true snapshot of kind of like you start to get into a rhythm usually. Right. And then once things start to slow down a little bit, you're re- you're getting ready to prep for the next semester, right? You're getting yeah. 
work on the schedule for the next semester and work on the on the things that need to be in place in time for registration period, you know, that kind of great stuff. So once you get in that cycle, then it starts going and we will um, see how it goes. And I'm sure it'll go go well. And, and if not, we'll be ready to pivot. Speaking of your experience uh, previous, we were segueing to our what brought you to SPCC section. So if you want to just go into your background and uh, what brought you to this position today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think what brought me to the role of Vice President of Academic Affairs at SBCC is first and foremost, my firm belief in access to higher education for everyone. I think now more than ever, access is critical for all our students and potential students and for our communities, particularly, I think, for our most minoritized communities. Previous to my role at Santa Barbara City College, I worked at Napa Valley College for 22 years and uh, mostly as faculty and then as an administrator over the past six years. So I firmly believe in the California Community College mission, which is to transform the lives of our students and their families. And I am deeply committed to that work. And so that's my why, you know, we talk about our why and that is my why for serving in this role and this capacity. I came up the classified ranks. I was a classified employee at uh, Napa Valley Unified School District before I joined Napa Valley College District and then went to a faculty rank, uh, became part-time faculty and then a full-time faculty, held a few uh, faculty leadership roles on campus with as president of the faculty association um, and involved also on the executive board of the faculty senate. So, you know, it's not my first rodeo in that sense, but yeah, that's, uh, that's my background. That's where I come from. That's uh, what I've dedicated my entire professional life to, and I wouldn't do it any differently mm-hmm. if I were to go back, you know? I was curious, how big is Napa College in in comparison to Santa Barbara City College? In comparison to Santa Barbara City College, it's smaller. Yeah, I I would say maybe two-thirds of of, uh, the size of Santa Barbara City College in that sense. I I, I was curious about the transition from classified staff to faculty. Did you have to go to school while you were working at the college? If you could just like go into that for a little bit because I know a lot of folks sometimes do that that balance is is delicate so if you could just speak on that a little bit what what it was like for you and how you kind of got through it all because there are probably times you're like this is too much I'm done I don't want to do this anymore what kept you pushing through to get to get to your goals that's a great question you know I actually started working for Napa Valley Unified School District as an instructional assistant as an instructional aide in an elementary school, bilingual classroom. And I was 18 years old at the time when I started working for the district. So I started very, very young. And once I started as a teacher aide, then I sort of moved into the office manager role for an an elementary school. Then from there became the community liaison for our bilingual families. Uh, and also did some more instructional aid work, tutoring students, et cetera, middle school students. 
and it just evolved. During that time, I was finishing, I guess, my undergrad work at that time. I was commuting to Sacramento State from Napa. Wow. I did live there for a year, but for the most part, I commuted to uh, Sacramento State. It's actually a commuter school. It was at the time anyway. I don't know if it's changed. It wasn't easy. You know, I was a full-time student and I worked probably 25 to 30 hours a week since I was 17, 18 years old. And then I've worked ever since, you know, in educational settings. Then when I finished my, my BA, I thought everyone, my colleagues were going into the teaching credential program at Sac State at the time. And I thought, you know, I don't know that I want to teach. What should I do? What should I do? I just, should I just continue taking classes that are fulfilling to me, you know? And so I thought, okay, sure. And then if I'm going to do that, it should be towards a degree, towards something, you know, for some sort of pathway. And so what I did is I stayed at Sac State. I enrolled in a master's program. And when I finished the master's, this position came up at Napa Valley College to teach. And so it was that same year. So had I gone a different route, you know, had I pursued the teaching credential before the master's degree, I wouldn't have been qualified, if you will, to have applied for the job that I stayed with for 22 years. (laughs) So I think it was just, it was my destiny, if you will, to end up doing it that way. It's always been work and school, work and school. I know no different. It's just, this is what I know. And I would probably feel strange not doing one or the other. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of life. I continue to take classes here and there. Any opportunity I have, continue to learn. I never really thought of it that way, but in, in this is the one job that I, where I get emails at all hours of the night, day and night from people, you know, like they'll email, I'll get an email like midnight or one in the morning or eight at night. And I'm like, why are they still working? But now it makes sense because a lot of folks probably worked and went to school. And so you're just used to like furthering yourself at all times. So why not dabble in some work at nine in the evening? Because, you know, before you were used to studying then, or, you know, so maybe there's some connection there because yeah, it, it just seemed that you probably feel like like you have so much free time, but then now you're working and now you can just apply that to the work and, and whatever else you're doing as a student of life. So that's. Yeah. And I, I also, though, would caution, including me, and I would caution us and caution myself to make sure that we that we balance work and life uh, much better, because I, I don't think it's a completely healthy thing to just to always do both things at the same time, you know, simultaneously. I, I also am a firm believer of, of staying mentally, emotionally, and psychologically, physically healthy, because I have uh, strong family connections, and I want to be there to take care of them when they need me. And I also know that I won't be able to do that if I don't first take care of myself. And so it's a constant sort of dilemma, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. to make sure that we maintain that really important balance. And so one of the things, for example, that I no longer do that I was super guilty of doing, particularly when I was faculty was to email over the weekends. Mm -hmm. And I, I stopped doing that. I only do that when it's absolutely urgent, but I, you know, I, I do that to model it, but I also do that to take care of myself, right? And my own family. 
because I think we deserve that time off, right? I think that we are much better in a much better attitude with a much better attitude and position when we come in on Monday and we're, we've taken the time to detach, right? And refresh. And so I think I deserve that. I think my team deserves that. I think our students are deserving of that as well because it comes across, I think, when we don't do that. Mm-hmm. We get edgy, I think, you know, when we're so tired. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I, I I think you're spot on with that. I, you know, I'm kind of thinking a little bit about past two years and, and, and being employed in high higher ed and, and what COVID had, has done to us. And if there's not anything worth taking is the fact that you really, for me, one of my big takeaways is how much I was working and, you know, COVID put the brakes on a lot of things and, and made people really re-examine what's important or trying to be, trying to get it to be a little bit more balanced. And so I really appreciate you for saying that because I know people who are listening need to hear that, um, that it's not always about the grind. And, and in fact, I think you're more productive when you're, you're rested and you're much more dedicated. Um, so I appreciate you for saying that. And I completely feel that. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think it's important that we model that, you know, those of us who are in positions where, folks report to because, you know, I, nobody, nobody wants to not reply to your boss when they're emailing you. I mean, we all want to do that, but, but we also need to not put people in that situation where they have to make that decision, you know? Yeah. Hence why I do not have my work email on my phone. Oh, that, that was going to be a question. I don't need to connect it to your phone because I do. And I, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. Nope. (laughs) Because I know, I know it's too, it'll be too, tempting for me to log in. And, and so I'm a certain, obviously, don't get me wrong, you know, there's certain people on campus that need to have that linked. Uh, and I recognize that. But for me, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, because I know, I'll, I know, I'll, I would be engaged in that, you know, so. Absolutely. And, and I think it was more difficult for me, when I was faculty, to detach myself from work than it was when I became an administrator. Interestingly enough, you know, and I would have never known that because, mm-hmm. and, you know, I was, I was in that role and I knew no different, you know, yeah. I knew no other way. And it wasn't until I became an administrator where I realized that there's this, I don't know even how to describe it, but I would, I would drive away from work on Friday when I was faculty and I would say to myself, I can grade Saturday morning. I can lesson plan on Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and, you know, go meet with friends or whatever, you know, on Sunday morning. Like I used Saturdays and Sundays as my sort of work week to sort of distribute it. Right. I mean, I had some some time off here and there during the week, but it was because I had distributed that across seven days. And, you know, students need what they need when they need it. And so they don't say to themselves, uh, nor should they, right? Oh, it's Saturday. I shouldn't email uh, my instructor. And so as an instructor, especially when you're a new instructor, you want to make sure you're responsive, right? So you're constantly checking. But as an administrator, I realized people, when I went from faculty to administration, I, you know, everybody was, I was so big on faculty senate and faculty union and just have been teaching full-time for so many years that people were very curious 
wonder how she's doing. You know, let's give her a month. Let's give her two months. Let's give her three months. And then we'll ask. So three months came and they started asking, how's it going? How is Advent? And I said to them, I said, you know what? I absolutely love it. And they were, you know, pleasantly surprised. Some were shocked. And, and they said, really, what's, what, how different is it? You know, why do you love it? And so I said, because I didn't realize how stressful teaching was mm. until I stopped doing it. Yep. And, and then I thought, what is it about it? I was trying to figure that out myself. What is it about it? What is it about it? And what I concluded, you know, my theory is that when you are teaching, you are in performer presenter mode all the time. And that takes a lot of energy that so much more that I didn't realize until I stopped doing that. It takes mental energy, it takes emotional energy, it takes psychological energy. You know, you have to be prepared for questions, random questions. You have to have all the answers. Your hair has to be perfect. You have 50 people looking at you, <laughs> staring at you at once, right? God forbid that you would walk across and fall, you know, uh, trip on the cables that are that are laying on the floor or you don't see a chair and you fall. I mean, how embarrassing would that be? So all of those things, I think subconsciously, I just, I didn't realize that were there until I stopped doing it. And that's something. Yeah. And even more than a performer, you, you know, performers can do their performance and then you can, you can get critiqued afterward and you, and you can listen or not listen. But if a student has questions, you have to deal with, you have to address all the questions. You have to address all the concerns, all the variables, all the devil's advocate playing that goes on in a lecture. I mean, you have to be ready for everything and you have to respond to everything. So that that's stress on top of stress because a performer can, can do their performance and then just close themselves off of the world if they want. But you have to be open at all times as well. Like you were saying, you had to like sec section off your weekends and everything. So I can definitely see see that. Right. And then well, you, you know, and then sort of like, oh, OK, did I did I really answer the question uh, the right way? You know, you kick yourself for it. You're like, oh, my gosh, I could have also presented this. I could have I could have said this other thing. You know, was I defensive or was it was it a legit question? I mean, at least maybe that's my mind, but you just have those questions in the back of your mind. And then, you know, you can't wait till the next time that you meet with your students to sort of help redeem yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, also too, I mean, I think uh, what I hear from listening to you is I hear that it's like, it makes me think a little bit, it's about, it's about opposites, right? So they say, you know, it's through opposites. Do you learn a thing? Right. So, and you literally said it, you're like, look, when I was in, when I was teaching, that's all I knew, but you didn't have anything to compare it to until you actually got out of teaching. And then you're like, wait a minute, I was working a lot, you know, but I will say this, I, I will say that's, a, you know, for me, in my opinion, I think that's a sign of a good teacher. If you're always constantly thinking about, did I answer that right question? It's the professor who knows everything or thinks that they know everything. Those are the ones that I personally try to steer away from. So if you're <laughs> always constantly thinking about, did I really get that right? That to me shows like, you know, oh, she must have been an amazing teacher because wow. nobody wants the teacher that thinks that they know everything. I mean, at least I, I don't think that's been my experience in working with students. I, I don't think that's for the most part there's either as well. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll thank you so much for that. I, I will also throw in another variable there that as a, as a young teacher of color, I think that that I was holding myself, I think, to a completely 
I don't want to say completely different, but just a higher standard. Just, I just know that. I just know that yeah. I did. And so perhaps that exacerbated the issues as well, you know, but um, I did love teaching uh, for the time that I did it. I missed the students when I stopped doing it. And, but they've, they've also changed and you know, students are different than how they were 22 years ago. They're coming in with other needs that I wasn't prepared for at the time because students were different at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's another extra thing there that, that, that we add to, to our stress levels. And, you know, people ask me today, you know, how do you like administration? And I say, I absolutely love it. And the reason I love it is because every day is different. There has not been a single day as an administrator that has been the same. Every day I encounter, I try to problem solve different things, different matters, different issues. Um, Even if it's the same topic, it's a different level. Um, But every day is different. And I absolutely love looking forward to what the day will bring, you know, in administration. Yeah. Spoken like a true student of life. (laughs) Right. Also, I just want to say this plug. I think it's the NAP ministry. They coined a, uh, a term that rest is resistance, a part of resistance. And so sometimes I think it's important that we take that moment to really recognize that by resting, sometimes you are actually still doing the work. I think sometimes we all condition ourselves um, in our jobs, um, no matter what we're doing, that the harder we work, the faster we get it done. Um you know, the better, the more efficient that we are in our jobs, but sometimes we're not taking that moment to sit back and, and really rest and, uh, and, and charge our batteries up. So sometimes we needed to, to be, keep that in our back of our minds that rest sometimes is a form of resistance. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yep. So I, I did sneak a peek at your bio because, you know, from the, from the candidate forums when, when you were selected oh, yes. and, I, and did, I, saw I did too, we both did. And I saw that you uh, lived in Fairfield for a little while, so I have to ask before we segue to the next. Yep, season, the Jelly Belly Jelly Factory <laughs> is it is it worth a visit or not? I mean, do I, is it only if you like jelly beans, or is it just worth going as an amazing like factory? Or you did know, you never go? I, I yes, I think it is worth going just if you are intrigued by how things are produced. Yes. Okay, it's that's I've what been. I wanted to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. But they do have amazing jelly bellies and that jelly belly factory specifically in that. You know, they we also have the Budweiser factory, by the way, in Fairfield. Oh, they're right, right next to each other. I only knew right jelly belly. I didn't know there was an yeah, there's Bush jelly belly. And then there's the Budweiser, you know, fabric as well. Or uh, what do you call it? Factory, I guess. Yeah. But the Jelly Belly Factory in Fairfield hosts this annual event for Halloween, which is amazing. So if you're ever there in October, you know, that's the time to go because you get the Jelly Belly, you get the, the, the tour of the entire production of just any product, mm-hmm. and you get to experience their fabulous Halloween, you know, event. Okay. So I've been, I've actually been. So oh, I, I've never been. Yeah, I was actually shocked. I thought uh, Fairfield was close to the bay. And then I, when I was driving out, I'm like, where is this place? <laughs> but I will say the factory definitely is worth a visit. And uh, I, one thing that I thought was pretty cool was um, they sell all the kind of, I don't want to say the, the jelly bellies that don't come out looking like. Oh, a jelly yes. Belly. That's what like, the one like thing the, I did here. That you yeah. Get a bag of you the, get a big the, bag of the ones that kind of go, go, that wrong, don't make it to the well. bag. Yeah. yeah. And they're all these crazy, 
cool shaves and the irregular yeah. ones. Yes, yes, yes. So, but yeah, I I enjoyed it. The kids were young when I took them, so but yeah. But you yeah. know, we also I also come from a uh, from the wine country. Mm. Oh yeah, I was only ten miles away from Fairfield, and so um, also pretty phenomenal place to visit if you haven't been there already. I'm sure many many of you listeners have. Yes. And, and that will segue us because I don't want to blow up any. I don't know if you're going to mention jelly beans, but we can segue right into our food section. Good eating. So we can <laughs> All right, kick let's it go. off properly. <laughs> uh, um, I went to a, a banquet, a wedding banquet for my cousin out in Napa. And it was like this old winery castle. And it was just unbelievable how like, yeah, it was. Was it the Castillo di Amorosa one? I'm pretty sure. I think yeah. I think so. It had it had an underground little like cellar, like a cellar area. And it had like vines covering this like barn door. And that's where the reception was. And it was, oh, it was just the, yeah. the level of detail in that area in terms of how like service and, and, and the, you know, like they, they know, they know what they're doing up there in terms yeah. of. It, it almost makes you want to remarry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, i'm glad you added the almost i was good i was good maria so yes if you want to kick us off maria with any um any uh dish or restaurant uh food anything you that uh either now recently or in, in your past that you want to bring up and talk about let's yeah, yeah. yeah. or napa I yeah. love I love talking about food. You know, I love food conversation yeah. because I I am that person with particular interest in food. You know, I I also love home cooking, and I wish I had more time to cook um, at home, but but I don't. But I do enjoy it when when you know I love coming up with new recipes. I love watching shows about cooking. I Master Chef is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> And, you know, traveling is a critical part of who I am and how I wish to enjoy my life, how I would like enjoying my life. So I've learned a lot about food uh, by visiting many countries. Some of my most favorite dishes, of course, include Mexican cuisine for obvious reasons, right? A good uh, mole, tamal, tamale is one of my favorite dishes. The, uh, the sweet and sour, the oh. mole poblano with wrapped in uh in a banana leaf is oh my. probably my most favorite tamale i've ever had i had that in oaxaca oh my uh, gosh. like downtown there by the plaza it's by far one of my most favorite dishes um, i also love seafood you know in in all forms shapes and tastes everything and then of course italian food you know who doesn't love pasta Everybody loves pasta. It's just amazing. So yeah, some of the best dishes I've had have been while traveling, you know, ramen, sushi, everything, mole, tacos. And I love, love food <laughs> too much. So if you, if someone was visiting Napa and you had one place they had to hit, mm-hmm. what restaurant would that be? And what should they order? At least one item from the menu. Wow, that's a great question. You know, uh, some of the restaurants that I used to love are no longer there. You know, a lot of businesses went went out because of COVID. Mm. I'm not a big fan of like the fancy restaurants. You know, I'm more like a street food lover. 
Right, Maria's speaking my language, y'all. I know. Yeah, She's yeah. speaking my language. Preach. I Her would say stock is uh, going up right now. Maria. <laughs> stock is soaring right now, Maria. Yeah, I know. I would say definitely. Do you know what quesadillas are? Oh yeah, Maria, you're way, you're, you're talking. <laughs> some, you're talking to some heavyweights, I, literally. I, and so I'm like, oh, I think I do, but I want to make sure that that I ask. Which so the quesadillas are huge in Napa right now at the taco trucks, you know, particularly Los Agaves uh, taco truck uh, is the one I believe that came up with it in Napa or at least started selling it. Brought it to Napa. Yeah. Yeah. Los Agaves taco truck. Uh, they also have now a restaurant downtown Napa called Los Agaves. Uh, and they have these amazing quesadillas. Like, oh my gosh, like you could just mm. eat those. Does it come with a consomme? Yes. Mm, come on, Maria. Ah! Come on, Maria. Don't leave the consomme out, Maria. Well, the consomme is key, right? Mm. To the quesadillas, you know that. And so, absolutely, I would say my most favorite ones for sure. And I'm not a dipper. I I bite and then I sip. I bite and I sip. I'm not I'm, I'm not a dipper. So yeah, but yeah. Oh really? I've never yeah. I've never tried it that way. Interesting. It's just because I'm I'm already sloppy as it is. So Maria, like when it's, I'm it's when I'm thing. dipping when I'm dipping I'm I'm even sloppier. So in order to control my own kind of spillage, nice. I will bite and sip. But yeah, that's just me. It's just me. There's no one. <laughs> and just about, for the how far do you take it though? Do you need a straw or no? Oh no! I'm just I'm going all the way, and I'll and I'll do the two fingers to scoop yeah. to scoop the onions the, the onion cilantro at the bottom. I'll I'll, I'll finger scoop if I have to. <laughs> Listen, for the listeners, I bear witness to it. I've I've seen him sip even on salsa. He, he does it with salsa. It's a hong thing. It's a hong thing. I have never seen that, and I've seen some things, but I have never never witnessed that. You know, but you know, I I have to as we're talking about food food. I have to mention, even though this isn't food, but I have to mention the Latino wineries at Napa. Okay. You know, Napa, the wine country, brings in so much money from visitors and tourists from around the world. Mm -hmm. And I am so proud to have this opportunity to give a huge shout out to all of those Mexican-American families who went from working in the vineyards, mm -hmm. to managing the cellars, to managing teams of employees in the vineyards and the cellar and the production area to becoming winemakers themselves and winery owners. Mm. And so we have now a handful of Mexican-American vintners in both Sonoma and Napa, Napa County, who I think just deserve our support just because of how far they've come, you know, to reach their American dream. So two of them, two of those wineries are relatives of mine and my family. So there's a little self-interest here going on as well. So it's the Maldonados and also the Robledos. Robledos are in Sonoma. Maldonados are in North, Northern Napa. And uh, if you have an opportunity to go visit them and, and say hello, and they will treat you so well. They are great hosts. And they will pair up wine, their own wine, some of their most um, traditional Mexican dishes. Oh, wow. Wow. Yep. That sounds awesome. I would definitely get both of those in the show notes. Because, so, yeah. so, so Hong will be sipping two times over, huh? <laughs> on the consomme and on the wine. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a wine chugger, too. I just go into that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't do the swirl with the sniff. I'm like, boom, boom. Yeah, but yeah. I kid, I kid. 
No. So thank you for that. Thank you so much, Maria. So what do you got, Hong? What do you got for the listeners? I'm going with a, a, a throwback again. I, I talked about chili fries last episode, and I was thinking about more of the, the foods from my youth and, and pairing with the chili fries. Normally, if it wasn't a hamburger, then it was a pastrami sandwich. So I wanted to talk pastrami for this uh, for this episode. Okay. Um, in town, I know Akil's mentioned Norton's. Um, and Norton's probably is the, the gold standard in town here. Um, but for me growing up, it was uh, a few places. There was the hat in uh, the, you know, it's like a, a burger yeah. joint, chili fries, pastrami. They do the pastrami dip, which is like, you know, they, they, they dip the whole sandwich in the, in the au jus and then serve it. I mean, it's a real sloppy, like down home, but that's, that's what I grew up with. It wasn't until I got a little older that, you know, I went to the, the, the Jewish delis in town. So, you know, Brent's Deli in Northridge, uh, Cantor's, and then my two favorites would be uh, Langer's and Wexler's. Wexler's. Wexler's is a newer deli than the Grand Central Market. They're probably the the new number one for folks. But for me, you, you can't be going to Langer's. Langer's is on 7th and MacArthur, and they they are should be world famous. I know they, they ship on Gold Belly, so there are people that crave it from all over. But Langer's, to me, is is the gold standard. I've been to Katz's in New York. I've yeah. been to other delis around the country, and to me, Langer's is still number one, not just because their sandwich is objectively excellent, but because the atmosphere is great, and for dessert, a slice of their chocolate cake is the perfect way to, to pair it. And um, yeah, so so I, I, had a, I had a path. You know, It was like the hat pastrami dip, then I'd go to like other burger joints, like Tops and this and that, and then someone's finally like, uh, you, you need to eat real pastrami and go to like a deli, and I'm like, what are you talking about? What, what, what else can you do? How can it be better than this? And yeah. then I found out it could actually be yeah. better than that. You know, like, like real rye bread, like, like fresh yeah. baked rye bread yeah. and like, you know, the, the true pastrami and when it's hand cut and perfect slice. Yeah. So I'll put links to places in the show notes, but yeah, Langer's, I mean, everyone talks about the number 19 and the number 19 is a great sandwich, but you can just get platters from them and just build your own sandwich or just, just, yeah, it's all good there. So the, the Jewish deli scene in LA is, is uh, always, always like alive and well and, and vital but uh, Langer specifically has been doing it for you know over a hundred years, and they they deserve a hundred more because yeah they're they're in my hall of fame for sure. Well, the next time I'm in LA, I'm gonna have to hit that up because I haven't yeah, tried. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to meet. La- we I'm, can meet at Langer's, yeah. and now they're doing indoor dining again, and because they were just doing takeout for a long time for the pandemic, but sitting at one of those booths, grabbing a couple sandwiches, and then that chocolate cake for dessert. It's like oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Wexler's. But, Wexler's but, uh, is ex- yeah, and Wexler's yeah. is excellent. Wexler's. And I and I would say if someone did a taste test today, they might say Wexler's is the best. But see, nostalgia clouds my brain so much that like I can't I can't not just feel that yeah. feel that energy being in the booth before Wexler's existed and just be like, this is the best sandwich I've ever had in the world. You know, so nice. I, I guess Maria, a question for you: Do you get a chance to go down to LA and eat around LA at all, or is it, or is it something that you're going to do more of now that you're a little closer? Yeah, probably now more than now that I'm a little closer, I'll probably do more L.A., uh, but no, I haven't uh, done much of L.A. actually, um, unfortunately, but I would love to. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a way to coordinate. We could do we listen, could take me on a taco listen, crawl. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> listen, listen, I just thought about the idea. We should do something like that with the show where we just any employee that wants to go, we kind of plan it out. <laughs> You know how like they go, you know, some people go to the Dodger games. We should do something. Like I've that. always That's wanted somewhere. to rent. I've yeah. always wanted to rent one of those passenger vans because I am not afraid to drive in L.A. A lot of folks are. And that's that's all the hurdle for a lot of folks is if you're not used to big city like traffic driving. I mean, I couldn't drive a big old car in L.A. because even that is a bridge too far for me. But like one of those regular size vans, I can hold like eight or nine people. I'm all I've always wanted to do it when I worked in the library. When I worked, I always wanted to do it. I just never been able to do it. So I right. might have to make that happen. You might have to do something. Listeners, yeah. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. 
Because you could do, I mean, but, and also you have to find, we have to screen people because you might, they might not be ready for the kind of like gastronomical, like their stomachs might explode. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm talking dim sum and then go get a pastrami sandwich and then go get like some pastries and then get another meal. Like some people might not be ready for that life. No, you know? that's I, true. <laughs> ready. You have to yes. be physically ready for all those spices and, you know, yeah. everything. Yep. Absolutely. It's like Joey Chestnut, like chug a, a gallon of water, a gallon of water periodically to make sure you can stretch and, you know, <laughs> you're too much, dude. I could definitely just said that. That's so funny. Uh, all right. Okay. So, what you got? So I, I'm going to go local, which, you know, is, is, I don't usually do that. I don't do that enough. I mean, I feel that um, I'm always giving plugs else, elsewhere um, out of town. I mean, obviously I do Thousand Oaks and, and tour quite a bit, but uh, I'm going to stay local um, I, and I'm going to go, I'm going to stay with the theme with sandwiches um, and I'm going to go Ike's Deli on oh, yeah. uh, State and Mission, on the corner of State and Mission Street. Um, the funny thing is it has, it's been in Santa Barbara for a few years now and I know everyone thinks about South Coast Deli and that's probably like the gold standard around town, but, um, I stopped by, um, and I think it was like two weeks ago. And I, I was like, wow, I've never been in Ike's. I just went. And first of all, the names of the sandwiches are absolutely amazing. Uh, Maria can respect that. If you're a giants fan, um, <laughs> oh. you're a, whoa, you're uh you're not your oh, Oakland days. Who you got Maria? Who's your team? Maria? I'm I'm a huge Eagles and Phillies fan. Oh, oh, nice. oh that's a change up for the listeners. You guys weren't expecting. <laughs> yeah, you didn't that, expect see? that one, did you? No, you, know? you cannot assume. Go Eagles. Uh. <laughs> so nice. The names of the sandwiches are super cool because they're named after most Bay Area athletes. So one of my favorite uh, sandwiches is the Steph Curry, which I'm not a Golden State Warriors fan, but um, the name of the sandwich is the Steph Curry. But they have also names like um, the Bumgarner, uh, the Matt Cain. They have uh, the Marshawn Lynch. So there's all these different uh, sandwiches named after professional athletes. Um, and but creative. The, I love it, that idea. Right? The, the idea is super, uh, yeah. super whimsical in that way. And so... Um, but I ordered the stuffed curry, and then um, Ike's, I think, is known for their Dutch cr- crunch bread, right, on? That's called yeah, because because Ike's is, Ike's is from the Bay, and I don't know how the Bay Area discovered this, but they, I think, are the ones that brought Dutch Dutch crunch bread to the masses because I'd never had it anywhere before I had it at Ike's, and now I've seen it at, at multiple other places. So I don't know if Ike's specifically is the sandwich shop that did it. But I know the Bay Area as an area, they're the ones that popularized it because I'd never seen it before. And now I don't go to a lot of sandwich places that don't have it because it's so good. <laughs> and what's cool about Ike's too, they offer gluten-free bread, right? And so I know people that are, you know, gluten intolerant, there's options for them. Um, they also offer halal meat. Uh, so there's a lot of different um, options you got there. It's local. It's in, in town, state, and mission right next to the 7-Eleven. So you can get your sandwich and your chips. And then if you want to get your icy or your Slurpee afterwards, it's you can just walk over to it. So that's my pick for uh, the show. Um, and so hopefully you guys can support local business um, and get out there and get a sandwich. That's great. What would people do without great food? I mean, what would we do without great food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, just the bridges that great food is built just the, I mean, in terms of introducing someone to a culture, one of the first things you want to do is probably introduce some of the food foods and then meet the people that make the food and, and cook the food and, and, and create these. Very, I mean, it's just, yeah, truly. Well, that's, 
you know, I think I said this on the show when Michael was on, but it's really us, you know, living in this country. It's really unique in a sense where we have access to so many different cultures and foods and, and traditions. Um, you know, I've, you know, traveled pretty extensively and I'm thinking about when I was in Turkey and all you get is pretty much Turkish food. And so to be able to be in, in a space or a country where can have options is, is really a, a, a special thing. And it's something that we, we can't just take for granted. Yeah. So, especially in California, I think yep. particularly in LA. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, every corner is like, you've got something different and it's good quality too. Good. Oh yeah. I mean, I've only, I've only been to Mexico city in terms of traveling to Mexico, but in terms of regional cuisines, I've, I've sampled so much from LA. I mean, if I want that seafood that you're talking about, I can get pescado sarandiado. I can get, you know, like agua chiles, uh, you know, the agua camar- chiles. camarones a la diabla, and like mm-hmm. from Sinaloa, from Culiacan, like they 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 tell you where they're from as well. Like they 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 to to, to like prove their bona fides. Like you want video de chivo, and you got someone from Guerrero, to, you know that mm-hmm. will, you know like so they. It's just it's just like it's not just that it's there. It's that it's so hyper specialized, and that there's an audience for that where they didn't yeah. have to dumb down the palate and say okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here now. I have to make just tacos yeah. and burritos. They can still make the dishes that they made back home. And there's enough people that will eat it and pay for it that they can make a living. So it, it's just so beautiful. And it's just go. Yeah. Food is food is amazing. So. I agree. Yeah. Yummy. And I'm getting hungry. Has to be- <laughs> I know. So we better, we better segue <laughs> quick. Man, for real. <laughs> I'm like, we got we got to change it up, y'all. You know, that, I think if I know, decide to just do it in early retirement, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking. I see a taco trap of gorditas in in mm. my future. There, you know. Oh <laughs> yeah. Specializing just gorditas. That's all. You know. Oh man. I don't and, know. What can I say? I love cooking. I love food, and I love what it does to and for us. You know. And the gordita mm-hmm. is special. The thick, the thickness of that masa, like a gordita, is like not as thick as a sope, but like you know, a, a, a more bite than a taco or anything else. So yeah, that gordita is special too. So yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> but yes, higher learning. Any piece of culture, Maria, whether now or in your past, that is you know affected you deeply, profoundly. You want to share with the audience? If you want to kick us off, let it rip. Film, TV, book. Yeah, hey, look, look, culture, Maria's over oh here thinking gosh. about. <laughs> hey, I, I'm arts. thinking about that nine passenger van doing the tourist run. Hey, doing I, the tour was, runs you know, I, I was thinking about like, what color would the taco truck be? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hot pink or something like that. You know, yeah. what can I say? No, you know, I would say, gosh, in terms, this is a very difficult question, you guys. I mean, the arts are so special, you know, athletics, super, super special for and healthy for society, for our souls. It feeds our souls. I love it. But I have to say my favorite book is a classic. My favorite book is Cervantes's uh, Don Quixote. Um, Mm. I just, I love, you know, and I thought about this a while, but I love the concept of allowing ourselves to imagine the impossible. And, and, and how that influences others, you know, to do the same, how contagious that can be. Um, And the great things that can come from that at the same time, you know, acknowledging that we live in reality, that there's a reality around us. Right. And so Cervantes is Don Quixote does a good job at this juxtaposition, right. Between idealism and realism. 
Mm. Um, and, and somewhere in between those two extremes is where I like to live, you know, somewhere in between. So yeah, that's, that's definitely my favorite book. You know, I try to pick it up now every here and there and read a page or two. And it just brings me, it brings smiles to, to my face, you know, a smile to my face and a good feeling of letting go and allowing ourselves to, to imagine the impossible. So why not? Why not dream? You know, I'm a dreamer. What can I say? <laughs> so yeah, um, as far as, let's see, what else? Uh, my favorite sport, you know, I grew up watching soccer, not, not playing it, not playing it. I didn't have that privilege, you know, to be able to play a sport. Um, but I watched it and I love it. I get so excited. Every World Cup, you know, um, is, is exciting to me, particularly the, the finals, uh, the final tournaments or whatever competition, whatever we call that, um, final games, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I've, when I've traveled, I've, I've tried to visit these famous stadiums as well. It just, it's inspiring, you know, it's inspiring mm-hmm. to me. So do you have a what's, team or do you just love the game? And what's the best stadium you've been to? Oh, yeah, great question. So, you know, I have a story when I was faculty, I would lead study abroad programs to Spain mostly, but also other countries. And it would be during the summer, you know, June, July. And so one year the uh, Spain was part of the Euro Cup of the final Euro Cup. It was Spain against Germany. And uh, we got to Spain that day uh, in the morning when, um, when the final was happening. And so in Spain, everybody's super, super, you know, huge soccer fans. So the entire city just goes completely nuts. And they, they have these huge screen TVs outside in the plazas, you know, out, out in the community for everyone to come gather outside and watch the games together. And we got there when it was Germany and Spain and Spain won that night. Oh man. And just uh, imagine. No. I cannot. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine. The streets were just packed with people celebrating. I mean, people partied until the next day and the next day when when Spain won that year, the Euro Cup. I forget what year that was. But um, you know, I love it. It brings people together. You know, there's yeah. a common denominator there all of a sudden, despite all of our differences. And I just love that aspect of humanity. And so I, of course, I've been to the Real Madrid sta- uh, stadium there in Madrid. And I've been mm-hmm. to the one um, in, uh, in Barcelona um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and uh, recently, actually last year, I was at the um, most famous stadium in Paris, so I, you know, I've, I've been lucky that way. I'm, I'm very privileged to, to have had opportunity to do that. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Great. TV shows. Can I tell you what my, I'm a huge reality TV show fan. Uh, I love Survivor. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. I love Survivor. The one that started it all. The one America, that started it all. In America, at least. Yeah. 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 And I love The Amazing Race. Um, I, I just, was going to say and love observing, you know, the human behavior when when our when our limits are tested, mm. you know, when we are pushed limits. Um, I just find that fascinating uh, how we react, um, how we choose to react, how we instinctually react. Um, 
I just love that. I mean, I think in, in, in a future world, in a future life, I'd probably love to study psychology. I just, I find human behavior fascinating. What can I say? Um, as far as movies, you know, I'm not a huge mystery or horror film type of person, I guess. I love drama and I love comedy as well. So, yeah. Great I choices. Love I love these picks. I love these picks. Don Quixote is a great novel, not only because it has influenced almost every novel written after, you know, you can see yeah. life of Walter Mitty, all these fantastical stories, but because it was such a classic and I, and I'm like, I, I mentioned before, but not often, but like growing up, I felt like I had to read the classics where I could read the, the new stuff. So reading the classics gave me an appreciation for, for classical language, how it was written at the time, you know, the, the old conventions and, and, and learning how to read those, that classic literature made me a better reader. It made me a better writer. It made me a better, you know, like in terms of comprehending things. So, and I'm just reading the translation. I, I, I can't read the original manuscript to appreciate what the original writing was, but just the various translations, you know, I feel the same way about uh, Vladimir Nabokov where the, just reading that the classic literature and how, and how it's written, just how the sentences are formed. I mean, because if you read the storyline summary on Wikipedia, okay, you know, uh, you know, fantastical adventures, imaginations, falls asleep, has some dreams, wakes up. But in yeah. terms of what you actually get when you read like the, 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 the benefit of the, of the words and, and just, Oh yeah. It's, it's, it deserves its place as a true classic. It is, it is thick and it, it is difficult to get through. You know, like you will need a long time to read parts one and two, but you will be rewarded immensely. And it is just, yeah, it, it is very enriching and it, yeah, rightfully. And you know, there were two, classic. between the two parts, there was a 10 year difference in publication. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So an entire decade went by uh, before the, the second or part two was published and we get in i get impatient when i have to wait a week for a new episode or something i can't just binge yeah, it all at that. once <laughs> so yeah wait waiting for two waiting 10 years for part two man if, if they had the internet back then they'd be he'd be getting bad bad stuff in the dms like hurry up like people talk about george rr R. martin hurry up and write those books bro like man cervantes, <laughs> cervantes would have been getting some heat totally, totally. <laughs> kind of like game of thrones right when yeah it, uh, exactly yeah Everybody just wanted episode after episode of Game of Thrones, and we just and then they got and then and then we got it, and the last season was like, oh, what should have what you should have taken your time. Yeah, and then we like, okay, well, we look forward to House of the Dragon, you know, uh, and then same thing. We only we've only had one episode, and then that's it. It just feels like we're waiting too long. But didn't you <laughs> say something about the patient, our level of patience? You know, it has just yeah. Yeah. What have we done to ourselves, right? It's completely er eroded in a lot of places, in a lot of you know. And a part of me thinks that's due to a lack of other hobbies. Like before, when we were waiting, we could do other things. You know, like okay, you, you, this TV show's out there. Read a comic, play a video game, go ride a bike. You know, go take a hike. But folks now are—I mean, not all folks, but some folks are just really kind of locked into a few things, really specialized, and and that's good in a lot of things in terms of like deepening knowledge. But in terms of creating this kind of like zoomed in yeah. hyper-focused kind of. Yeah. I mean, also too, I mean, we don't talk about the beauty in the patients either. Right. So yeah. I'm thinking 10 years between novels. Right. And so that's the beauty in it. Right. I mean, look, I, I just feel it's capitalism. You want it the next uh, episode, you know, next week. And that's yeah. like, that's not how beautiful things are, are created. You know what I mean? Like beautiful right. things are. Take the, time. Yeah, yeah, they take time. The hurt, the sorrow, the pain, the reflection, all of that goes into it. You know, it's like 
my favorite part of like water for chocolate when she cries into the mole right yeah. you know what i mean like and it's that part that yeah. makes it right the perspective gained throughout that 10 years you know it probably really helped enrich that second part for sure it's so true it is so true yeah. i mean think about our own lives where how are we like look Marita alluded to it a little bit earlier when she's like, now I understand the balance of not working so much. Well, what is that? That's wisdom. And how do you get wisdom? Through time. Through, through time and different perspectives. And yeah. yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Right. So again, you know, that's how always wanting it when we want it, it mm-hmm. usually is not a, a great result, <laughs> you know? Right. But yeah, patience, is a, it's a virtue, right? Yep. Yeah, we do forget about people forget about that all the time. I, I like to say I'm a patient person, but then certain things, yeah, I'm 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 like guilty as everyone else. Like when I'm waiting in line for a restaurant and no, I and I, I saw and you last night. No, I saw you last night at the, <laughs> at the ice cream truck, huh? You were patient. You were patient. I saw you when yeah. you pulled You're up. Like looking at your watch, all you know. Oh, sometimes I'm the guy in line giving the dirty looks like you had that check on your table for quite a long time. That's long <laughs> enough for you. It's time to go. But no. <laughs> So true. So true. Uh, especially like, oh yeah, some places I've been waiting like an hour and a half. Like dim some, dim some weights, like an hour and a half, two hours. Where you're coming in hungry. Oh man, by the time you get to that table, you're you're heated. Especially when you're with family. Like my parents are waiting too. I'm like, oh, I'm getting sweaty. Yeah. No, I think that's strategic though. So you order more. Oh yeah. It's it's a 45 minute wait, and then it's an actually an hour. And so by the time you're like, I'm really hungry, and then you <laughs> eat more. It could be strategic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So thank so, you, Maria. Thank you, Maria. So what do you got for, for us, Hong? I'll go. Um, okay. As of this recording, uh, yeah, it's uh, August August 20s, I'll, I'll say. And so uh, it made me think about my probably greatest musical hero of all time. Joe Strummer was born on August 21st. And um, he is like my North Star in terms of music. When I was in high school growing up, I I, I, you know, I was just getting into punk rock. I didn't know that much about it. I thought I, I wanted to be with the cool punk rock kids. So I mean, I, I went to this, uh, went down to Melrose to buy a, a, a t-shirt, a band t-shirt, and I, I picked up a Clash shirt. And so that got me getting into their music. And so I became a huge Clash fan. And then I got another punk rock from there and eventually led to Joe Strummer's solo career, um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, he is, he is the man to me. And I still remember the day he passed in 2001. He, uh, you know, he had a heart condition and he passed. I, I, this was like, Internet was there, but it wasn't like ubiquitous in our lives. So it, it was late to me, but everybody was calling me because everyone like knew how big a fan I was, knew how important he was to my life. And like, did you hear him? Like, I'm like, no, what happened? And they told me, oh my God. And it's like, like went and ran on the internet to connect my dial up wherever to look it up. And like, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the man has changed my life and uh, you know, everyone talks about his, his career with the clash and the clash are an all time band. One of the, you know, one of the best band, you know, one critic famously said they were the only band that mattered. And I don't agree with that because they also taught me to diversify my musical interests. They're the ones that got me into reggae. They are the ones that indirectly got me into hip hop. My sister was also interning at Loud Records, so she got me a lot of cool records to get me into hip hop. But in terms of they in the early '80s were having artists like Grandmaster Flash open for them, you know, and 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 they were getting booed off the stage and whatnot. But at least they were trying to show folks what it was. They had a you know famous graffiti artist, Futura Five Thousand, on their last on Combat Rock, their most famous album that has like Rock the Casbah. Should I see or should I go? There's now the track with Future 5000, which is an early hip hop track and also an early acknowledgement of graffiti as a, as a cultural movement because he was a graph artist. Um, but yeah, uh, his post-Clash career does not get enough shine. And there was just a box set released recently, uh, Joe Strummer Volume 2. Volume 1 is a lot of his um, other stuff. But Volume 2 is his, his solo work with his last band he was in before he passed, 
called the Mescaleros. They did a three albums. I was able to see him twice while he played with the Mescaleros. So that was another thing that was nice. But um, the box set is great. Um, both volumes of the Joe Strummer anthologies, Joe Strummer volume one and two, because volume one is all of his solo work before the Mescaleros. And volume two is the Muscaleros albums re- remastered and all that stuff. It's it's worth a run through if if you you know if you're interested at all, like even a little bit about punk rock history and or and or Joe Strummer, because as a man, he was a great man. As a as a as a member of a great band, he was that guy. And as a solo artist, he does not get enough love, but his solo material is excellent as well. So a belated happy birthday to Joe Strummer and rest in peace forever. And uh, yeah, love the guy still to this day. So well. Th- Thanks for dropping that on us, huh? <laughs> I was I'm ready. Gonna, yeah, I was ready. He came. He came with his gloves on. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. That's that's. I mean, that's my that's my north star for sure. Like, yeah. he, he got me in a lot of things I wouldn't have been into otherwise, and just put it on my radar. Like, he, he in like the turn like 2001, 2002, or not. He died in 2001, but like 99, 2000. People were doing interviews with him, like, what do you listen to now? And he was talking about cumbia. You know, like cumbia is, as a musical style is known to a lot of people but not known to a lot of people, you know? So it was something that the first time I'd ever heard about cumbia rhythms and that kind of drumming was from Joe Strummer. And now, now it's like, now it's ubiquitous. Like it's, it's a common drum, drum kind of pattern. Like they mix it with electronic music. You have that, you know, electronic cumbia rhythms and stuff. But the first, first time I ever heard about it was from my boy, now, Joe Strummer. Do you play instruments? I do not. I have DJed before. Yeah. I've DJed before. And I like, you know, still have turntables and stuff. But in terms of yeah, I, I played, I play I I know enough of on the guitar to play punk rock guitar, which is three chords, you know, in, in various order. And my son is taking piano because I do want him to learn how to read sheet music. But yeah, no, me, I'm not so inclined. I'm more of a dancer than a than a musical artist, and I'm not even a great dancer. <laughs> well, maybe that could be a part of the uh, the trip after the tacos and all that to L.A. Oh yeah, any venue, yeah, any venue. Oh yeah, I I got. I got the venues mapped out. Yeah, you, it depends what you want. You go to Los Globos, you go to the Echo or the Echoplex, mm-hmm. Wiltern, you know. <laughs> you want to go Broadway, you go to Pantages. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. I we love it. music in our home. My husband plays the guitar, has played it since he was 13. And so nice. he loves music. Uh, 70s, 80s, rock is probably his, those two areas, you know. So we, we listen to music all the time. He plays the guitar all the time. So we are huge lovers of just live music you know and good music yeah yeah oh yeah and that and then being close to la will be nice because in terms of you get venues of all sizes where santa barbara we have the santa barbara bowl which is medium you know medium large to large and then we have basically soho now which is the, the smaller venue in la you got a lot more small and medium size options to choose from and then as you know you know being from the nap area you can go to the bay you can go to san francisco or even sacramento gets a lot of artists that come through so very yeah, you, cool yeah, yeah. Well, All right, I have to tell you, um, oh. sorry about that, but I have to tell you this story uh, because I actually met Ozzy Osbourne. Recently? About five years ago. Wow. You're never going to believe, you know, this is a crazy, crazy story. Okay. You ready for this? So I was in, of all places, Havana, Cuba. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yep. He's there wow. uh, with his son, Jack, and the whole filming production team and they're filming a reality show where apparently him and Jack are traveling around the world or whatever, visiting these places and witnessing these events, right. That are 
unique to each culture, right? To each to each country they've gone to. So all of a sudden we're um, we're in Havana. The government there has the or recreates the the shooting of the cannons from way back in the day. And so they do that. It's a free event for all Cubans. And so a bunch of tourists go there. And all of a sudden I hear, I was there with a group of, of uh, colleagues. And all of a sudden I hear someone say, Ozzy Osbourne is here. And I thought, no way. I mean, what are the odds, right? And then I hear it again. And so I thought to myself, to my husband is a huge Black Sabbath fan like Ozzy Osbourne is like his idol right so I'm thinking if anything I just at least have to go see if it is true you know I have to get close so I grab my camera and I I get close sure enough there's Ozzy you know with his phone filming the shooting of the cannons and Jack sitting right behind him and I'm like feet away from them and the funny thing is that I thought, okay, I got to call my husband to tell him what just happened. But of course, in Cuba, you know, nobody has Wi-Fi. Mm. I couldn't talk to him for days. I couldn't talk <laughs> to him or anything like that. Oh, so he wasn't there? He wasn't. No, I was there with him. Oh. Yeah, no, it was just me. So That makes the story better, though. <laughs> I, th- I think it does. So I come home and I say, you are never going to believe what happened. Exactly. It's just unbelievable. What are the odds, right? Yeah. Man, those are the best stories. And to me, to me, Ozzy is like Joe Sherman in some ways because everyone thinks of Ozzy as Black Sabbath, but Ozzy Osbourne's solo records are excellent, especially especially when he was Randy Rhodes, but even afterwards. I mean, rest in peace, Randy Rhodes. But the post-Randy Rhodes albums are also excellent. I mean, his biggest solo hit, Mom, I'm Coming Home, was a post-Randy Rhodes release. And, you know, so... So yeah, I I think that there's some definite definite nice nice tie in there, Maria. Appreciate appreciate that story. Right? I think <laughs> you appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Akia, what you got? So much piece for culture is um, I'm gonna go local and I'm gonna go seriously local, and I'm gonna go to the mural that's being actually created on campus right now. Um, so that's my pick for the week. Um, it's been really an amazing process, um, watching this actually unfold, um, from a, a vision, right. Um, walking through the emoji space and turning around and looking at a a blank wall and thinking that, you know, I want to get a mural here, um, into finding, um, the people that are actually producing their or installing the mural. Um, I don't know that there's, you know, there's six artists that are currently working on it. And by all means, I think that they're really humble in, in a lot of, in a lot of regards, because a few of the artists that um, some of them are up and coming, but a couple of them, Andre, uh, who's the CEO uh, of BAMP, it's called, it stands for the Bay Area Mail Program. Uh, they are out of the Bay. Um, they've done amazing work. They've done like, they've worked with the Golden State Warriors. Um, they did a piece that's like literally, I think it's like six or seven stories um, for the Golden State Warriors. Um, There's a QR code on that mural. They're just really innovative um, in their approach. It's a nonprofit. Um, And so reaching out to them and actually kind of birthing um, what is actually going to be on the wall is, has just been really uh, a blessing in a lot of ways. Um, Another artist that's in um, BAMP, her name is uh, Rachel Wolf. 
uh, Goldsmith. She is a, a phenomenal artist in her own right. Um, she has a piece that's on Black Panther's headquarters or the former Black Panther's headquarters in Oakland, California, uh, a tribute to the Black women who uh, were in the Black Panther Party uh, during the 60s. Um, that holds dear to my heart. My mother was a, a former Black Panther in Oakland in the 60s. So it's just really been an amazing journey. And I just want to take a moment and thank all the people that have assisted in uh, making this happen on campus, uh, from Dr. Mario to security, making sure everything is locked down. There's been a whole lot of people who have made this happen. Uh, VP Paloma, you know, Dr. Roxanne Byrne. There's so many people, uh, BFSA, uh, John um, from the Atkins Gallery, you know, just a lot of people putting their time and effort into making this come into fruition. So if you're on campus, um, please take a moment and stop by and just be present. I had the good fortune today of just, you know, I've been checking in every day, making sure the artists are treated uh, and feeling welcome on campus. And there was a class from Kaplan that literally walked up and they sat and there was about maybe about 10 students, 15 students. And they were discussing the mural and I mean, they were still painting. They're still working on it currently. But, you know, the teacher was like, what do you see? What's your, you know, what's your favorite part? And I thought it was pretty special. The publicist, his name's Langston's with uh, Langston. He's with BAMP. And he asked the girl, he said, what's your favorite part? And she said, you know, I'm from Brazil. and My English isn't good. He said, we have Google Translate speaking Portuguese. And it was so dope because I'm sitting here looking at her stand by her favorite part of the mural and really just speak in Portuguese and express how she really feels about the piece. It was really humbling. Um, so that's my pick for the week. I really want to just thank the campus once again for getting some life back on campus. It's been a rough two years plus just feel grateful for, for being employed by Santa Barbara city college. Um, so that's my pick for the week. Soon on the mural, there'll be a QR code. We can scan it. It will mean a, there'll be a time-lapse of the mural. Thanks to Hong for putting the website together. So <laughs> shout out to you as Hong as well. So just a lot of great collaboration. Alicia has been great. Shaw Hoobs has been great. It's just an all around great experience. Last night we had over, uh, there's around 130 people between the times of five and eight, just sitting, being in community with each other. The kids were hula hooping and playing ping uh, table tennis and people throwing cornhole, soccer. It just was just a great an event last last night. And so just want to thank everyone for that. And yeah, that's my pick. Great pick. Great pick. And, and, an and amazing pick. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. good work. Good work on your part, Akil. You taught you, you, you mentioned the process and passing, but you, you as an integral part of that process, well, can only, you know, you're the one that knows what, what it took to go from, you walking by thinking maybe there should be a mirror, whoever, probably you, <laughs> but mm-hmm, thinking there mm-hmm. should be a mural on that wall and going through the process to make it happen. Because how many times and how many folks would think similar things and, and be hit with the process and be like, this is too much. This is, this is too, the bureaucracy is out of control, whatever, whatever. But I mean, shout out to you for making it happen. And shout out to, you know, Dr. Mario and SBCC as an institution for making sure the bureaucracy didn't get in the way of making making it all happen that what should happen because it's it's a beautiful project. I was at that event last night and it was just unbelievable how how good it felt to be in community and feel like feel like a true commun a, a true kind of communal event was occurring and you could feel a lot around you. You know, everyone was friendly, 
walk around and meet people you never knew and they you know act like you know them your whole life and it was just it was all good i mean it was just that that's the only way you can put it was it was all good and then how and and there's yeah and i mean i don't know if the campus really realized uh you know i'm from santa barbara and this piece is probably the first piece that actually well it is the first black mural in santa barbara so and it's housed here at santa barbara city college and you can it may even be the first black mural between los angeles and the bay area um so i mean don't quote me on that but i'm thinking the in-between spaces there may not be anything that's really intentionally centering um black excellence on walls so and i was laughing the artists were saying you guys got a lot of white walls around here <laughs> i was like yeah so hopefully this is leads to a bigger discussion uh you know sh- shout out to aapi we need some representation hopefully we can get something going as well and you know make this place you know the place that we want to be in you know i mean we've been through a lot like i said the last two and a half years hopefully we can turn the page and we can start with just bringing everyone into the fold and so um yeah we may be have the first black mural in santa barbara that centers black excellence so it's a big feat yep well said and you, you did it man you did great <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we all we all did it we all we did all it. did it but you, yeah. yeah you you know you know your part in all this and yeah. i will leave at that i know you're a humble man you live a modest you mean a modest life and i appreciate that too but you're doing good man except for when it comes to those taco trucks man i'll be like <laughs> nothing's modest about that man i'm like yo congratulations hey, we all, we, on yeah. the project congratulations yeah yeah thanks and and thank you, Akil, and thank you, Maria, um, thank you, Maria, for being on the show. It was an honor to have you. Um, before we we say goodbye, any final words, any uh, final plugs you want to get in, or anything like that? No, I just want to thank uh, the Santa Barbara City College community, campus community, for the warm welcome, for kind words, and um, for the teachable moments, um, you know, thus far. And I continue to look forward to working with everyone and I will maintain an open, you know, door and make myself available to everyone who wishes to stop by, just check in, say hello. I'm offering virtual office hours uh, twice a month for anyone who wishes to just pop in, bring coffee, bring tea, and just have a chat about anything. So and thank you so much. Thank you. And so where can people find you? So where is your open door actually located on campus? So I am in the administration building right next to Dr. Maria's office, right next to the president's office. So um, right in the same hallway as the information booth in the admin building. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, great. And you'll send emails out about the virtual office hours and, and all that stuff. Yes, I believe to. I have already, but there'll be reminders. Excellent. Great. And I'll, and I'll get that info in the show notes and I'll track it down and get that in the show notes as well. Thank you so, so much. I can't believe that we've already, it's almost time to, to wrap it up already. I was having yes. so fun just chatting with you guys about all kinds of important things to our, yeah. to our livelihoods and to our souls, right? Yeah, absolutely. So student, absolutely. Student, of li- student of life, as you put it, that's a great way to put it. And that's yep. a great way to close the show. So thank you again, Maria. It was an honor. Thank you, thank you as always. Until Thanks, next Anna, time, y'all. Good. This Likewise. was Maketa Voices. Take care, everyone. Peace. Bye-bye.